Hey, listener, Zach Harper here. Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Here's how it works. The Pick'em Game. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. How big, you ask? I'm so glad you asked that question, listener. You can win up to 100 times your money in a single night. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick'em entry. You can also do rivals picks. You can put like Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brunson against each other. And whoever has more points, more assists, more rebounds, whatever you want to do, that is your rivals pick. I would maybe go with Jalen Brunson in these playoffs. By the way, in the regular season, Jalen Brunson scoring tear, going higher on his point totals all the time. Joel Embiid, whenever he did actually play, higher on his scoring totals all the time. Victor Wembanyama for the next 15, 20 years. Here's a pro tip for you. Take higher on the blocks. That's right. So you're probably wondering, how do you sign up? Oh my God, listener, you are full of good questions today. Sign up with the promo code DING, that's D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick First time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. $250, man, that's a lot. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our code DING, D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick and first time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. Must be 18 or older, 21 or older in Massachusetts, Arizona, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Arizona, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. That's 1-800-639-8783. Or text next step. To five three three four two New York, call the twenty four seven Hope Line at one eight seven seven eight Hope and Y or text Hope and Y four six seven three six nine. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of The Woke Bros. Of course, I'm your host, Big Waz, a.k.a. Waz D. Lambray, joined as always by my comrade, still looking pretty tan, not just because he's a Spaniard, but because he's been on a perma-vacay yeah. <laughs> for how long now? Nando Vila, what's up, brother? What's up, Waz? How's it going? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. On today's show... Lionel Messi has been forced, strong-armed into staying with Barcelona. We're going to wrap that story up, tell you guys what to watch, tell you guys how you should be thinking about things this January when this these conversations are going to rear their ugly heads again. So we're just going to kind of tie a bow on something that we touched on last week. Joe Biden is getting pressure from the black bourgeoisie. <laughs> Um, to basically not adhere to purity tests, quote unquote, from the left about 
appointments and cabinet positions within a potential Biden administration not coming from the Wall Street and financial sector. We're going to get into the ridiculousness of that. But first, because we have to, and we typically don't do, President Trump is a big idiot, doofus, maniac, um, dangerous loon stuff on this show because there's enough of that out there. And I don't think anybody who's listening to us has, has, has any illusions about who our president is and what he's about. But, you know, we're taping this on a Wednesday afternoon uh, here. And, you know, it, it would, oh man, Bob Woodward's book is coming out. It's about President Trump's response to the coronavirus. And essentially, he's got President Trump on tape saying, the coronavirus is bad, it's dangerous, it's deadly, but I'm not going to go public with the information because I don't want people to panic. It looks bad on me. I'm not doing it. He essentially tells Bob Woodward on a phone call, like, I'm straight up not going to freaking tell the American people the truth because it makes me look bad and I love my precious economy. It's what I plan on running on. So I'm just going to sort of play out the string and lie to the people. This is more deadly. This is five per, you know, this is 5% versus 1% and less than 1%. You know, so this is deadly stuff. We show cases, 99% of which are totally harmless. Not just old, older. Yeah, exactly. People to plenty of young people. Young people are almost immune to this disease. Uh, it's also more deadly than your, you know, your even your strenuous flus. We lose thousands and thousands of people a year to the flu. We don't turn the country off. I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down. Of course... There's ethical problems with Bob Woodward's handling of this information as a journalist. He probably should have got this information out to the public as soon as possible. Instead, he sat on it so that he could sell a book about it. Uh, Bob Woodward, yes, we get it. Him and um, Bernstein broke Watergate. They're journalists, legends, and all of that stuff. But in the intervening years, man, Bob Woodward has essentially become a corporate hack <laughs> um, there's, there's just no two ways about it. But this is big news. This is the president on tape saying what we all essentially knew, that mm -hmm. he was lying to his followers and the public about the dangers of the virus, what he actually knew to be true of the virus. Um, and he came out and sold the American people a bill of goods. As a result, millions of people got sick. Hundreds of thousands have been have died as a result of the virus. It's a disaster. This is the type of news that would sink in any normal time. It would sink yeah. any leader of any yeah. serious nation. It yeah. would just completely be a disaster for their campaign. I don't know that this, I don't know that this will matter in any meaningful way as far as the um, election is concerned. I don't know if the Biden campaign and that team over there sport smart enough to exploit this and use mm. this for their benefit electorally. We don't know that. 
Uh, mm. We just know this is big. This is a big deal, and it's horrible. Yeah. No, like you said, it was in any serious society, this would, you know, this would be finished. make make the president re- resign, you know, like in, in a parliamentary system, this would probably cause the fall of the government and they would have to they would have to hold new elections for something like this, something so egregious, you know, where the president was blatantly lying to the American people is not only like caught lying, but caught on tape, you know, like it's kind of like the Ray Rice thing, you know, yeah. like it's different yeah. when the domestic abuse is like you read about it in the newspaper or something, but when there's a video of it, like our, just the reaction from the public is so much worse. And, you know, in this case, Trump can't even do like the, well, it's just, he said, she said, you know, like, uh, I, it, it just reported out of context or whatever. And I know like, this is like the full tape again. Uh, but you know, the, the, Everything about this is 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 kind of infuriating because obviously the president lied to the American people, which probably caused people to not take the virus as or at least a significant chunk of the American public not to take the virus seriously early on. I mean, this was done. Woodward did this interview on February 7th. You know, this was before kind of shit got real with the coronavirus. So, yeah, it it probably would have saved lives had the president said what he said to Woodward in public. It would have saved thousands of lives, probably. That being said, also, Woodward probably should have released this when he had when he had the goods. Like if he had a tape of the president saying and he's been holding this for six months, you know, like just to be able to sell more book copies. That's just that's that's borderline. I mean, it's certainly unethical to me from a journalistic standpoint, but borderline kind of criminal even in, in, in that, you know, Woodward could have changed the narrative dramatically around the coronavirus in these in those early months. Right. Had, you know, having the, a tape of the president saying these things like it's a it's a really deadly thing. <laughs> it flies through the air. You know, like um, it maybe would have saved even if it would have saved a few hundred lives like it's it's worth it. Like, think about that, you know, Um so, yeah, I mean, but like you said, it, it, do, would it have meaningfully changed anything? I mean, that in that sense, it's like every, that's like a very like kind of you're you're black pilled at that point, you know. Like then, why do anything? Like why, if nothing's going to change the narrative on anything, then it's just like the only upshot is to just like pack up and go home and just sit in your corner and and not not like we we wouldn't even be doing this show. We wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like, you know, at some point you have to believe that these things actually could have an effect. And, you know, just the, the presence of the tape. I mean, I know he got away with the pussy tape, the grabbing by the pussy tape and all that stuff. But like, this is like, this is different in nature, you know, like the grabbing by the pussy tape at the end of the day is not like a policy. Right. You know what I mean? Um, whereas this, like this, this is clearly like a, a policy that would affect the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. And as with so many things that come out, Involving President Trump, part of me is like, is there anybody who actually thought this wasn't the case? Yeah. That he knew exactly what the threat was. Trump is a huge germaphobe. He's a huge germaphobe. <laughs> like, there's no way, like, the first time you heard about, like, you know, like, they're talking about, like, you know, the threats and the thing, and, like, they, you know, he, they can't get him to pay attention. You know, they have to, like, you know, sit him down for the security briefings, and it's like, oh, you know, the, like, some tribe in, in, in the Middle East is, like, moving against, like, some militia group or whatever, and he's just, like, glazed over, doesn't give a shit. He's like, virus? What? Virus? There's a disease out there? Right. Like, wait, wait, what? 
Like right. he's a huge germaphobe. He's freaked out by this shit. It's so obvious that he was gonna be that he was gonna be freaked out by coronavirus. This the idea that this guy didn't know all the pertinent information, especially by February, or the idea that you didn't understand that he was just basically talking shit. When he comes out and says, oh, we'll be able to go to church by Easter. Like, is there anybody who really didn't think this at the time that he was just talking out of his ass? But as, <laughs> you know, as Rob pointed out to us in in our little production meeting is that, you know, it is it does matter what this dude says. Like that yeah. bully pulpit of the presidency is a thing and it does matter. It matters when the president speaks. And what yeah. he says, so yes, it does matter in that sense. But like, I can't, I can't imagine that anybody hears this tape and is genuinely surprised that Donald Trump would do this, that Donald Trump would act in only his self-interest and nobody <laughs> else. Like that he yeah. would be like that he would behave this way. And of course, this comes on the heels uh, as we switch gears with another ridiculous Trump story. Jeffrey Goldberg of The Atlantic put out a, a piece <laughs> about President Trump essentially, um, you know, <laughs> he's <laughs> he's at Arlington Cemetery. He's visiting the graves. Kind of he's visiting the graves of dead American soldiers. And he's with the father of one of these dead soldiers. <laughs> Everybody knows the worst thing that can happen to a parent is the loss of a child. And President Trump essentially says, I don't get it. What was in it for them? Essentially <laughs> implying that being a volunteer soldier in the United States Army is a fool's errand. It's for suckers. Why the hell would anybody be stupid enough to do that? And he's saying that right next to the parent of a dead soldier. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, John, it's John Kelly who ended up being his chief of staff after he said this comment reportedly. All John Kelly did, by the way, was, yes, continue to work for Trump, continue, continue to, to ascend within the administration. Yeah. And be silent now. Like, he doesn't, you know, he he didn't even go on the record for this story um, after. It's just, oh. it's crazy. Like, I, that's a level of cuckery. Cutlessness that I, that's, is craziness. Lo- it's crazy. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the reality is that Trump, you know, in his like two year old brain, uh, ham fisted way kind of comes up on something in which he's like, why would anyone volunteer for the army? Right? Like, why would anyone volunteer for the army? And the, the reality is that people volunteer for the army for the most part these days out of a sense of, um, economic incentive, really. Like sure. it's, it's a way, it's a way out of poverty for yeah. or like at least a perceived way out of poverty. Yep. Um, because tons of veterans come back, you know, and you know, there's suicide rates and homelessness and all that stuff that comes with it. But you know, that people are the underclass of this country, like the poor and working class people in this country are so beaten down. They have so little prospect and hope for any meaningful kind of, uh, path out of poverty that the, the army starts to look pretty good. And that's, that was part of the, that's part of the, the, the trade-off in a way. It's like, you know, ever since America went to a full volunteer army sometime in the early seventies, before that it, it wasn't, um, they, uh, you know, that, 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 that was one of the worries, but like, as kind of people's incomes went declining and the welfare state was gutted, um, all of a sudden the army starts to look pretty good. So yeah. Trump was kind of like putting his finger on something there. Th- th- um, yes. you know, 
You know, for, for John Kelly specifically, his son probably went because of like, you know, insane daddy issues or something because John Kelly, you know, he, they didn't grow up uh, poor, but, uh, you know, he probably like tried to impress his dad. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, and, but again, the discourse around this whole story is like really mind numbing, right? Because Jeffrey Goldberg, who's now the editor at Atlantic is like someone who should never have worked in journalism again after he published in 2002, in March of 2002, that Saddam had links, Saddam Hussein had links to Al Qaeda. <laughs> and basically was involved in 9-11, which is 100% false, 100% yes. debunked. This was in the New Yorker, which is the most prestigious liberal magazine in America with the most rigorous fact-checking, supposedly. Jeffrey Goldberg published an article linking Saddam Hussein to al-Qaeda, which is one of the key rationale for the war yep. in Iraq. Yep. And Saddam Hussein had something to do with 9-11. Right. Um, and and again, it's just a go- like at the end of the day, it's just a gossip story. It's unlike the Woodward uh, scoop, which is legitimate, like policy, had, like legitimate policy ramifications. This is just like kind of Trump is just like a disgusting man story. Not not really kind of any actual there's no real import to those comments beyond like, oh, he disrespected the troops or something. You know, it's, it's yep. vague. It's not it doesn't have like a real concrete policy thing. Um so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it all gets kind of fed through the meat grinder of the culture war um, and people kind of sort themselves out in, in, in the two camps, like either like the libs are all now like we should rename all the bases <laughs> after John McCain because is, those were the real Republicans. Is, like Pete Buttigieg went on Fox News. <laughs> it's like you have to ask yourself, are you a John McCain Republican or a Donald no, Trump Republican? No, they hated John McCain. What are they you talking about? John McCain, the they guy they who kept all on hated him. Yeah, only they liberals love John him. McCain. The Republicans hated John McCain, dude. That's why he couldn't yeah. beat W for the nomination. That's why he went to the freaking dark side when he, you know, he did the paling stuff and all of that against Barack they hated him they of hated course him. not they're none of them would they were never john mccain republicans no what do you that's they never, were always republicans exactly <laughs> that like that was never the case like and that's obvious it's obvious it, one it's obvious because john mccain kept getting his ass kicked yeah. Until he started basically kowtowing to those same freaking Republicans, like yeah. basically what Republicanism stands yeah, for. There, for there real. was no popular base for John McCain. Never. Or yeah. Mitt Romney. Never. Oh. Never. The guy had to freaking run against his own policies as a Republican. Like yeah. th- these people were like they never loved Jeb Bush types. No. Well, it's, the, it's the flip side of what we say about Biden. You know, Biden is essentially like kind of like th- what are the differences between Joe Biden and John McCain? Nothing. Nothing. You know? like, Nothing. Like literally nothing nothing um they they nothing. probably agree on 99 of the issues yeah um and but there's no there's no popular mandate for those for, right. for like those type of people like no one's excited to vote for joe biden for the same reason that no republican was excited to vote for john mccain outside of like you know defense contractors around uh you know chevy chase in virginia um who like love john mccain for like vague kind of patriotism reasons but like and and and, and guess what and i'm glad you brought up the culture war because it's this stupid weird things that liberals are forced to do and i don't know why like why do we have to be military um, lovers now we got to no. suck the dick of the military just because trump did something unbecoming like <laughs> yeah. we can hold two thoughts or, at or the defend, same time defend the u.s intervention in world war one which was a mistake 
Yeah, 100%. 100%. You know, <laughs> Eugene Debs, the leader of the Socialist Party, went to prison for opposing the war. Woodrow Wilson put him in jail because the Socialist Party at the time opposed the war. And uh, Woodrow Wilson put the leader of the Socialist Party in jail for it. He still ran for president and still got millions of votes. But it was a mistake. It was a mistake. It was known at the time that this was a pointless, stupid imperialist war between aristocracies. Mm-hmm. And the, the regular people had nothing to do with it, nothing worth fighting for. Millions of people were sent to their slaughter for literally no reason. You know? And like, like people this to like this day that, still can't even tell you what World War One is about. Like if no, somebody they, tries to explain they it to some you. dude in Serbia and right. uh, some Duke and, right. then and all the Russians and the Germans are like, hold on, we're dead. involved now. And it's like, yeah. what? Yeah. yeah. And then 15 million people are died like in the trenches in the meat grinder of the of the machine gun. But like, yeah. And but, and it's something that sidebar, something that bothered me so much about that Wonder Mo- Woman movie that everyone loved with Gal Gadot, which is a terrible movie. But the whole thing was this World War One thing where like the Germans were like these evil people. They were basically made them look like Nazis. And it's like it just wasn't true. Right. You know, the Germans were like no worse or better than the French or the British or, or the, the Americans. In that war. The it Americans was just a basically. Anybody. Yeah. Right. It was all the same shit. Um, you know, World War Two was a legit like Titanic struggle between like good and evil, blah blah sure. blah. But World War One was not. Not. So, <laughs> so like Trump saying like asking like why did we get into World War One? <laughs> who were the good guys <laughs> in that war? And the Lippers like, oh my god, Jesus, America was the good guys. America was the good guy. Like the Allies were the good guys. It's like no, not really. Not really. There were no, no good guys in that there whole no enterprise. Guys. It was just. Millions Stupid. of people, and by the way, the the beginning of modern warfare. So yeah. many, even the people that ended up surviving that shit, like this is the beginning of PTSD and all <laughs> of that stuff. But whatever, you know, <laughs> liberals gonna lib. They're gonna be rock headed about the stupidest things. Of course, it's important that. We have a president who is just so mindless and gutless that he yeah. can't even help himself. In just the most, you know, just the basic, just basic human decency, like his, his, his carnal nature of just like, what's in it for me? Like he can't even restrain that even for a second. Obviously that speaks to the man. Obviously he can't be a civil servant, man. Like that dude can't serve anybody but himself. And so whatever we move on from Trump is bad news to Everybody's favorite Democratic presidential nominee, Joe Biden. <laughs> uh, of course, Politico puts out <laughs> puts out a story, and I love, I love, love, love the headline, Nando. Mm. Purity tests. <laughs> mm. Democrats clash over Biden's diversity goals. And the gist of the story is that the black bourgeoisie of the Democratic Party mm. are essentially telling Joe Biden, hey, man, don't go crazy listening to those sicko leftists within the party. We get that they're loud and unhinged and deranged. And, of course, we know that uh, Bernie Sanders, who represents that that element of the party, um, obviously has a lot of fans and supporters. And you want to appease those people because you want to win in November. But shit, man, there's a lot of black people that worked at prominent financial institutions, worked at hedge funds, worked on Wall Street that can get some of these cabinet positions. Don't go crazy using that as some marker. And Nando, the the official defense of this is that 
Some black people had to take these jobs because they're high paying and they had to feed their family. So it can't be a demerit. Like, I'm sorry. You're financially secure now. You don't need. So they're, they're, like definitionally, that means you don't need these government jobs. Like, you've made a shit ton of money in the financial sector. Like, just definitionally, we know you don't need this freaking job. And so just the idea that, oh, it shouldn't be used as a demerit because I don't come from a family with money, so I had to go out. That's cool. You made money. You work in this institution. That doesn't mean that somebody who is appointed by the people of this country should have folks like you appointed to run important things that affect their lives yeah. just so more cronyism can happen. Just because black people get into those positions doesn't mean that it won't be crony capitalism again. Like, I don't want to, like, the, 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 the argument um, is, is just an incoherent one. And also it's like this idea that you just can't find qualified black people who don't come from those institutions. And those, like, and we talk about, it's important why we talk about these institutions, right? Like, working on K Street. Working at Goldman Sachs, um, going to Harvard and Yale and Princeton, all of those institutions, those are all little clubs within themselves. And mm. the Dems love those fucking clubs. They just do, bruh. And so, like, this idea is like, hold on, man. We're not going to turn off the spigot now. We we got black people in those clubs. We, like, <laughs> it's, like, this is, this is the Dems idea of diversity and inclusion it's mm. don't address the conditions that produce these outcomes which is don't address the fact that wall street has been y'all been taking cues from wall street and the financial services industries for decades and the current climate and culture of our country is what the, these are the outcomes that that produced. Like, mm. we did this already. This yeah. is what you guys have produced for us. Why yeah. would we keep doing the same thing? You, so you're just telling me putting black faces on that same process <laughs> is going to make the lives of black people in the hood better? Like, how how could that possibly be the argument? <laughs> um well, it's that's why the left criticizes identity politics. I mean, this is like this is one of the most crystal clear examples of where of the limits of identity politics and representation for representation's sake. Yes. You know, it, 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 if you don't do anything to change the power structures, representation is essentially meaningless. You know, um, I mean, the classic example is that we had a black president, Barack Obama, and in his time as president, black wealth like collapsed. You know, uh, that, you know, it did, did nothing to help actual black people. You know, like it, it doesn't mean that like his example and stuff isn't like inspirational on some on some level, on some symbolic level. But in material terms, black wealth collapsed under the of, under the Obama presidency. And this is just when this is like what you know, how how that kind of well, often well-meaning push for diversity can get twisted for cynical aims to basically reinforce the power structure, which is like, you know, the old joke is like, yeah, the future is a, a drone panel in which like there's like a trans person and a gay person and a black person and an Asian person. And they're talking about drone warfare and it's like sponsored by Raytheon, you know, um, <laughs> Like, no, I mean, it doesn't matter like that those people are uh, diverse. The, the, the problem is 
drone bombing, you know. Um, so this is just like the latest example in how the, the Democratic Party specifically has understood uh, identity politics as a very, very effective weapon against the left, right, against any meaningful transformation of the economic structures in America. They use things like Bernie running against Hillary Clinton is sexist, you know, and it's like, you know, and then Hillary Clinton says that, like, well, breaking up the banks solve racism. No, you know, like, it's like uh, what kind of what kind of what, what does that even mean? You know, the breaking up the banks would, would do a lot to help uh, people's lives, you know, but then racism. I, I don't know. Like, you know, like, I mean, maybe like some 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 white guy will still call you the N word. was, For But like, sure. you know, For if sure. you're if you, you know, like if, if the, the predations of Wall Street are not like ruining your life. I think you could probably live with you that. You could probably <laughs> live with it. The trade-off yeah. there is is quite easy to understand. Too. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is just what that is. I mean, this is just like uh, this is just such a crystal clear example of it. And the woman who's been pushing this is a woman by the name of Nicole Venable. Okay. And Nicole Venable, she's black. Um, she is a lobbyist. Like she is a straight up K Street lobbyist for things like FedEx, CVS Health, uh, Navient Corp, which is like a, a student loan, uh, like pr predatory lender. You know, like all manner of just off industries but she's understood like she got a seat at the table um you know as, mm -hmm. a, as a member of the black bourgeoisie as you as, mm -hmm. as you called it you know and what they try to do is kind of put like this progressive sheen on the status quo it's like look you know we have uh, the black ceo uh the, of this like because awful I company think think, but the problem is though nando like it does make a certain type of black person feel better to see it. Like I know it just from my experience in life. Yeah, right. I'm like, sure. When you like when you are a black yuppie as I am, and you tend to <laughs> only hang around black yuppies, like I'm telling you, they do yes Queen Kamala Harris's VP mm. nomination. Like they're like this is great. This is a another upwardly mobile black person being upwardly mobile, right? Like it does warm the heart of a certain type of black person, but it's a minority of black people. It just straight up is. Yeah. And you know, like but they're the ones. They're the ones with cultural influence. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And. You know, I just don't understand how having a black treasury secretary who <laughs> worked at Goldman Sachs is yeah. going to make a difference. All no. I see when I see black Democrats um, talk about, hey, man, these purity tests are going to fuck up diversity. All I see is them saying we have people who we already like. Who happen to be black? Let's throw them in, right? Yeah. And I want to, you know, there's a quote in the political story um, from Jeff Hauser of the Revolving Door Project, mm. right? And he says, quote, to say that we would have to have people who are currently working in private equity or Wall Street or the banking industry to take up senior economic jobs is absurd. You mm. can come up with a few very rich set of potential appointees of color without taking on people who are currently and very recently closely identified with high finance. Like this is not rocket science, y'all. 
This is not rocket science. Like, you cannot get the people from those same institutions to come in and do things that are contrary to the goals of those institutions, which is just complete and utter avarice. That's it. It's just about making as much money as you possibly can. They have no freaking principles, goals. They're not invested in what happens to communities of color as far as poor people. They can say the words. They can say the words that, like, assuage white liberal guilt yes. on those fronts you know like yes. what, what was that what was that hilarious policy that kamala was promoting like pell grants oh for God, like yo. you know Loan people who started businesses yeah, and pell in grant relief for like and yeah it's like <laughs> you, know, you have it, to do it within the next three years it was just yeah. like what? maybe the black secretary treasury could come up with the next policy like that like, you know? <laughs> like oh if you open a juice bar and Compton, it's just like what the hell are you even talking about bro <laughs> <laughs> and how many people? Like, I, 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 it's just I, I just this this neoliberal version of d- diversity and inclusion. It's like we always say. And again, it's not to beat a dead horse, but yeah. it's to just show you examples of this stuff in practice, yeah. right? It's like no, make sure you get some fancy Negroes in there. Yeah, period. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Period. Because the type of Negro who gets in there matters to them. And it matters yeah. to us, too. Yeah. And it matters to us that is not a fancy. Like, to, for us, we don't want fancy Negroes. <laughs> no. We don't, we don't want bourgeoisie <laughs> Negroes. They're a part of the power structure. We don't want yeah. that. We yeah. want the Jamal Bowman types. Like, we want... Yeah. People who actually have some type Corey of connection, Bush. you know, Corey Bush, like some type of connection to normal everyday yeah. people. Yeah, the guy who went to Harvard, like, is indistinguishable from, like, you know, Walter Price, you know, Straight whatever, like blonde hair, khaki wearing, up Harvard douchebag. Yeah. Um, yeah. And sorry, you know, the more the, the the further we get away from the campaign and the presidency, yes, Barry is one of those Harvard douchebags, y'all. Um, and <laughs> and anyway, uh, you know, something else that came up. Uh, shit, where, where was that? Oh, Washington Post yeah. put out a story about essentially. Yeah. You know, a panel was a progressive panel was made in conjunction with the Biden campaign to come up with some policy planks. Um, and yeah. essentially, the banking community said that they talked to Joe Biden and all of those things were just suggestions and he's going to throw it out the window. Washington Post. Yeah, as soon as he gets in there. Yeah, as soon as he gets in there. The Washington Post described it as Biden having, quote, flexibility. On policy, yeah. Nando. What do you yeah. think about that euphemism there? Flexibility. That's amazing. Yeah, he's flexible. <laughs> <laughs> he's flexible. He it only bends in one direction. Yeah, yeah, it only yeah, bends yeah, in one yeah, direction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Flexible he can make all the way to the right. Then, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, th- so this this was so when Bernie Sanders lost uh, to Joe Biden in the primary, um, the basic concession that he got for essentially playing ball. Um, and supporting Joe Biden and campaigning for him and all that stuff is these unity task forces in which they were going to like bring members of the Bernie campaign and members of the Biden campaign. And they were going to come up with policy proposals together. And of course, like, you know, Bernie's campaign did their best to like include things like whatever, you know, like meaningful climate legislation, something to reign in Wall Street and blah, blah, blah. And obviously there's no bind. There's nothing binding Joe Biden to any of these policies. He can walk away from them whenever he wants, you know, and, uh, 
but that's what, in theory, Bernie got as a concession. And even that small symbolic concession was a bridge too far for the money Wall Street. class. Yep. Yeah, the money class, essentially. And they've been calling the Biden campaign. They're like, are you guys fucking serious about this shit? Like, you guys are really going to consider doing this shit? And they're like, no, we're not. We're not at all. <laughs> not at all. This is just this is just some bullshit that we do to like keep those fucking crazies on the left, you know, uh, appeased. But like, we're not. We don't plan on doing any of this shit. Don't worry. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> you know, it's it's depressing. I mean, I, I I suspect Bernie's no fool. You know, because Bernie's been around the block and and he knows how power works. And I, I don't think he was naive to think that any of this would have. Uh, the meaningful kind of uh, policy effect that he would like. Uh, but I mean, I think Bernie's caught like in an impossible position. It's like, well, what is he going to do? Not campaign for Joe Biden and like let yeah. Donald Trump win reelection. Um, I, you know, I understand Bernie's impulse to like do whatever he can to get Trump out, like as a first step. And then, you know, and then see, and then see what you can do after that. But like the, the, the conditions I think have shown under Trump, that it's it's difficult for for the left to to meaningfully have the conversations that it wants to have about the economy when Trump is saying things like, uh, "Yeah, you know, Hitler not such a bad guy. Yeah, maybe maybe he had maybe he had a point when he did all the bad things, you know." Like, and, and then everyone has to like talk about that for a week. You know what I mean? Instead of like talking about uh, there's something like the trillion dollar CARES Act in which we just gave corporations and the investor class trillions of dollars while we left everyone else out to dry. Um, so I think that's Bernie's calculus. But yeah, this is this just shows like everyone who, you know, all these kind of like people on the left that were like, look, we got all these we got all these like policies in the task force thing. It's like that was just naivete. Like they're not they're not going to do any of that shit <laughs> uh, unless they're forced to unless they're forced right. to in some meaningful way. And because of our stupid two party system, like what are we going to do? Like tank at Biden presidency to allow Trump to win reelection? It's an impossible choice, right? It's an impossible choice. So, um, you know, Bernie's made the calculation that I think most people on the left have done. That's like you, you just got to get Trump out and then live to fight another day and figure it out yep. from there. But, yeah. All right. Well, and finally this week, my dreams and hopes of a Lionel Messi <laughs> mm, and Man City. Blue. Yes. In the blue of Manchester City have been dashed at least temporarily. Um, essentially, Barcelona dug in their heels. They said that, you know, you was you had a date to do this. You missed your deadline. If you want to go, Man City's going to have to essentially give us three quarters of a billion with a B, y'all, yeah. dollars for your services. And so I think the can has been kicked down the road. Messi essentially said he's coming back because he has to. He wasn't going to take Barcelona to court. He doesn't have that level of ill feelings towards them. The Basically, the head CEO of the team remains um, in place. But it seems like they're just – it seems like yeah. if you read the tea leaves, when you saw the – yeah, one year. You saw the interview that he gave. Yeah, he Messi notoriously not does not talk. No, he doesn't. He notoriously does not talk. And he basically did the Messi version of unloading on Barcelona. Yeah. Um, and basically, he's coming back under duress. He's going to finish out the play out the season. Um, Nando, please give the people, you know, some additional analysis of man, um, Lionel well, Messi staying. One with thing that's um, confusing about all this Barcelona. to the average American sports fan is that Barcelona, like Real Madrid and like 
two other clubs in Spain are actually run democratically. You know, they the fans vote for the president of the club. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, imagine you got to vote was for the GM of the Knicks. You know. Oh my goodness! Uh, or the owner vote, of yeah, the fucking Mets. Yeah, you got to Mets? vote out John Dolan and and, and Jesus and, Christ and, or whatever and, his name and, is. And the Will Ponds. Yeah. yeah. So, but that's that's how it works in um, in Barcelona. Um, and uh, this guy has one more year left on his term. So he's happy, you know, like the president of Barcelona is happy. He's like, I'm not going to be the guy who let Messi go. Messi, right. Um, So he lives to fight another day. I mean, basically what he had to do is hold out strong, just kind of be quiet and let the lawyers kind of look at the contract. And I think, you know, Messi has negotiated a clause in his contract that allows him to leave at the end of the season. But he has a very brief window to exercise it, you know. Um, Mm. And in this case, there was some confusion because of the pandemic extended the season, but it didn't extend the sort of contract dates, you know, um, like that were originally stipulated. And Messi missed his window to exercise the, like, I get out of jail free card. Um, and they, he tried to argue that maybe because the end of the season was pushed back, that, that the contract clause will automatically be pushed back. And Barcelona was like, no way. And I, I'm guessing Messi's lawyers looked at it and they're like, well, we could fight this in court. We could like hash it out in court or, um, but it doesn't look great, you know? Um, so yeah, Messi, you know, Barca's not going to sell him. Like that, that was like one pe- thing people like were like, oh, well maybe, maybe Barca just like takes a hundred million euros for him. That's what I like, was thinking too. Like, maybe this was a negotiation tactic of, no, they're you know, not obviously get- the, the, the 775 million was like the initial offer. That's but his maybe release they- clause, which is mm. like, you know, like in, in soccer in Spain, actually just in Spain, play all players have something called a release clause. Clause. There's a fee attached to them that if someone pays it, they can walk. No, mm. no negotiation. That's how Neymar wow. left Barcelona. Got Neymar, it. Barca did not want to sell Neymar, but they couldn't. They didn't have a choice. PSG paid the clause. Neymar agreed to it, and that's it. No, nego- Barca can't do anything about it. Right. Um, so Messi's release clause is 700 million euros or whatever, something insane. Um, and yeah, th- no Barcelona president was ever going to negotiate for the sale mm. of Messi. Like they'd rather like go down, like, you know what I mean? They'll go to Just the Just let him walk in and, 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 and then it will be like, he left of his own volition. Right. He had no hands. Yeah. We can't do anything about it. The team. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right, got you. But anyone who collaborates with the sale of Messi would have like, mm. uh, you know, riots on the streets in front of their house forever. Like they always got be you, known as you. that guy who sold right. Messi. I don't know. Got you. Uh, so yeah, it was never going to happen. Uh, in that way, I mean, I, I thought that Messi was going to, I thought Messi was going to take this issue of the release of the, of the contract release, um, a little bit, a little bit further, but yeah, like you said, that interview was crazy. He's playing under duress. It feels like he's just going to be there for the year. And then as soon as he can exercise the the clause to, to get out of his contract, uh, at the end of the season, although you never know, like things can change in a year, you know, like. Yep. It's very conceivable that Barca turns it around next season and wins the league, for example. Right. Uh, and and then in that case, maybe like, oh, maybe I'll stay. You know what I mean? But uh, but yeah, Barca lives to fight another day with Messi. Waz does not get Messi at Man City. It's very sad. And also it, it upsets me because I know for a fact um, – you know, the next go around, now that everybody knows that he's looking to do something, um, there are going to be more people involved in a potential messy recruitment. Although we know 
There's only a few serious people. I'm sure PSG could probably put together a nice little offer for him. Yeah. Obviously, of course, we know Man City with that with that oil money. They they're not yeah. gonna fuck around. But I think, you know, there will just be more teams in the running um the next go around, which distresses me as a city fan. Yeah. But um yeah, man. Um, Barcelona, like Lando said, lives to fight another day. Uh, that's our show for today. Make sure you become a patron of Count the Dings. That's patreon.com backslash Count the Dings. Listen to Let's Pot It Out, Nando's Outstanding Entourage Recap Pod. Make sure you subscribe to the Mailbag and Cinephobe and all the other offerings on countthedings.com. We'll see you guys next week. Fernando Vila, I'm Big Waz. We're out of here. <laughs>